I invite you to take your Bibles and turn or scroll to Galatians chapter 2. As you're doing that, I want you to take a look at this thought-provoking meme right here. The Apostle Paul entered heaven to the cheers of those he martyred. Let it sink in for just a moment. As Paul addresses the gospel in Galatians, he emphasizes the nature of grace. Salvation is not something that we earn. It is not something that we make happen. To the contrary, as the scriptures so clearly declare, salvation is of the Lord. Look at Paul's own conversion. How else do you explain it other than grace? Paul was literally heading one direction. And the Lord stepped in, and now he was heading in a completely different direction. What the gospel does is it puts each and every single one of us on the same level. It levels the playing field. No one is better than anyone else. Each and every one of us, without exception, we are debtors to the grace of God and to the cross of Calvary. Each and every one of us are saved by grace. One does not deserve to be there more than the other. Grace eliminates boasting. Those who entered heaven sooner than they expected because of Paul do not hold that against him. Because we all know through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we are each completely indebted to grace. And it is indeed the power of the gospel that Paul himself would enter heaven as a martyr. This is the astounding and the staggering proposition that we are examining in the book of Galatians. It is the theme of the entire New Testament. The remarkable proposition that in Christ, in Christ... Every man, woman, and child is completely forgiven, adopted into God's family, have a seat at the table, and will one day have every single tear wiped from their eye. And one day will be finally and forever and fully conformed to the image of our Savior. All of this is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Indeed, the Apostle Paul left behind his previous life of persecuting Christians and exchanged it for planting churches and spreading the very gospel that he tried to stamp out. Now, not surprisingly, as the gospel settles and sets foot in Galatia and in other areas, false teachers began opposing Paul and his message. And they did so by challenging Paul's claim that he was an apostle. We saw in chapter 1 to those jokers, here's how he responded. Number 1, I received this by direct revelation, this message. I hated Christians. I hated them. I wanted to stamp them out. And furthermore, 
I was quite enjoying my Judaism and the traditions of my forefathers. I was loving every minute of it. I was not having a crisis, a a crisis of conscience or questioning what I was doing or why. And finally, he said, no one taught him the gospel. He didn't go to seminary or anywhere else to learn it. Now, when Paul finally met his colleagues, they were all preaching the same message. Look at God. Now we come to a fork in the road in Galatians, where Paul will no longer be talking about his personal life testimony, but he will be addressing the content of the gospel and the application of the gospel. But before we get to that section, there is one statement that I did not cover last week. I strongly believe that this one statement deserves its own sermon. It was one verse, just one verse. The apostles have extended the right hand of fellowship to Paul. They've acknowledged the Lord's hand upon his life. And they believe that his calling in life is to be the primary voice for the gospel to the Gentile world. And while they part ways, while they give him that right hand of fellowship, they have one thing to say. And it's not what you might expect. Make sure you get this part of the message right, Paul. Don't deviate over here. That's not what they say. One request. Let's read our sermon text this morning. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 10. Only they asked us to remember the poor. The very thing that I was eager to do. This one verse fascinates me. I think this verse should capture the attention of every single Christian as we read through Galatians. In the midst of an impassioned treatise on the gospel, you have a single statement that focuses exclusively on the temporal. We should pay attention to this verse as much as we do to everything else in the letter. It is a small statement, but it's a mighty statement. It is nestled right in the middle of this letter, but it has as much value and weight as every other part of this letter. Imagine the gospel is now being preached and it's spreading, but the gospel is not disconnected from loving your neighbor and being mindful of what is going on around us and caring for those in need. When we are born again, when we put our faith in the gospel, a very natural and expected outcome is that we grow in our compassion for those around us. 
I've shared this a few times. A number of years ago, Christine and I attended a wedding. We did not know anyone at the reception, with the exception of the people and the family of, of, of those getting married. We wound up sitting next to a pastor and his wife, older than us, and his denomination is very well known for disaster relief. And so he talked about all the years that they would go into devastated areas, primarily in the United States, and offer physical relief, tornadoes, hurricanes, those type things. They would rebuild houses, all kinds of wonderful things. But he said, one time, the Lord brought such conviction on him. He says, you know, we pull into these devastated areas. We do amazing work. And the people are very thankful. But we never tell them about Jesus. We literally never do. He was so convicted about that, that he made a change. Whenever they go anywhere, they always set aside time to invite people out to let them know what's behind what they're doing and to bring them the most important message, the gospel. Now, this is my point. Those who name the name of Christ, we can often become imbalanced in how we minister the gospel. Some make it all about the gospel. Now, follow me on this one. In the sense that we want people to be saved, we want them to be delivered from this present evil age, and we don't want them to go to hell. That's a noble perspective. Indeed, that is the essence of the gospel. How do we become reconciled to God who is infinitely holy when we are not? But now on the other side of the spectrum... There are those who are so focused on the temporal needs that they forget and they neglect the essence of the gospel. Meeting the physical and emotional needs of people is very important. But it is not the totality, nor is it the true essence of the gospel. What I am submitting this morning is that we Christians should be holistic in how we engage people. Sometimes you might be doing evangelism, say, in the city, and you're literally sidestepping or stepping over a homeless person to give a tract to somebody else. Isn't it something? The one request that the leaders of the church in Jerusalem gave to the Apostle Paul we know that you're going to take the gospel to the ends of the known world. We know that you are going to take this life-giving message of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and redemption. But Paul, as you do that, please remember the poor. Be aware of who is around you. Meet their needs. Do not neglect the temporal. Paul's response is beautiful. You know, well, that's exactly what I want to do. Well, of course it is. I'm ministering the gospel. 
So I'm going to be aware of the needs of those around me. This morning, I'd like to walk you through briefly through the heart of God on this very matter. We cannot get it wrong on this one. Some of us in the Western church are so focused on the gospel as salvation to heaven, which it is, but we neglect the temporal. My brothers and sisters, when we do so, we deny the canon of scripture that is sitting in your lap at this very moment. We miss the big picture and we miss the heart of God for people. So let's take a little survey through scripture. We'll begin in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 14. I want you to look at this one closely. God speaking. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. I want you to see one concept in that verse. Do you see how God identifies with the poor? I mean, I'm a dad. Many of you are as well. You touch my kid, you're touching me. Are you going to deal with me? Do you see the heart of God here? So let's backtrack it just a little bit because this is not just a little corner in your Bible. It's all throughout. Let's start towards the beginning. The book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 19. Verse 9. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you will not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them. Leave them. Leave them for the poor and leave them for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. When it comes time for you to harvest, do not be so intent on getting every last little bit of your harvest. Have a mindset in which towards the edge, perhaps, or those things that fall to the ground, you leave them there because there are people in your midst who have need. For the poor and for the sojourner that was with them. Do you see how there's a mindset there? Like you're intentionally going into this with someone else in mind. Deuteronomy chapter 15. A little bit to your right. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 7. If among you, one of your brothers should become poor. Loosely translated, if one among you falls on hard times, 
in any of your towns and within your land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not harden your heart or shut your hand against the poor brother. But you should open your hand. Lend him sufficient for his need, whatever it might be. There will be people that you know who fall on hard times. And sometimes in a moment, their life changes. Don't harden your heart to that person. The person who modeled this the best for me is my dad. He would often, in fact, almost always work in the evenings as well. So he had a little bit extra and he would always keep his eye on those around him, particularly in our church. Maybe somebody lost their job. Maybe somebody got hit with a car repair that was just not what they needed, not what they expected. And he always had a little bit extra so he could be generous. My friends, this is the heart of God for those who are facing hard times. Let's move from the law to the prophets. Isaiah chapter 58. As the Israelites faced difficult times, the Lord would talk about true worship and fasting. That would be beneficial to their land and touch the heart of God. I actually commend to you the entire chapter 58. But look at verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry... I want you to ask yourself a question. That word, pour yourself out, that phrase, is that casual? Then, eh, if I get around to it, if I think about it, no. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, then, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. You see, the Israelites, through their tortured history, wandered from God, forgot about God, worshipped other deities. They did all kinds of things. And the way it showed up, where they get called out time and time again, is how insensitive and callous they were to their own brothers and sisters. They would neglect the poor among them. And the essence of Isaiah 58 is simply this. If you want to return to truly worshiping and honoring me, show it in your actions. I'm not actually into all your ceremony. You demonstrate the heart of God to the people that are nearest to you. We continue. We'll flip over now to the New Testament. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Now you might have heard a pastor or a teacher over the years refer to this passage and apply it specifically to weekly offerings or giving, which is a good application, but it's not the original one. Remember, when we look at God's word, 
we want to understand the original message to the original audience so we can make application. It's very important to know this incredible passage on generosity that is chapter 8 and chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. I Again, I commend this to you. But he says this. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. This is a heart issue. Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. But what's the context? Chapter 8 and 9 is when Paul stirs the hearts of the Gentile believers. And he says, listen, our Jewish brothers and sisters are facing essentially a famine. All kinds of problems. They have all kinds of challenges. We've got to help them. And if you read it, it's a beautiful read. He, He names the Macedonians. The Macedonians who themselves lived in poverty, but they begged Paul for the opportunity. And it says the privilege of giving out of their poverty to help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. Why is this so important? Well, one thing is remember what Paul's talking about in Galatians. The church is now like everybody, the, 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 the Jews and the Gentiles. Do you know what a powerful witness it is for the Gentiles to bless the Jews? Historically, they wouldn't even talk to each other. This is the gospel. What Paul is specifically speaking to here is God loves a cheerful giver in the context when you know a need, when you see a need, and you have the means to respond to that need. God loves a cheerful giver. I'm just going to be frank here. You don't live forever. You're just passing through. Why are you holding on to things that you don't need? Let it go. Be generous. It is true that we should be faithful in our regular giving for us in a church context. Absolutely. And much of what we do, as Katie just shared, is to help those in need. But I also want to challenge you in every way, not just money, but your time. Helping those in need. Let's go to James. James chapter 2. Let's hear a word from the Lord's brother. Remember James half-brother of Christ, thought Jesus was literally mad and crazy until Jesus made a personal appearance to him and showed his, his the holes in his hand. James chapter 2, verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those 
who love him. There is just a human dynamic in the gospel. I don't understand it all, but let's just be honest. If you don't live a comfortable life, if you don't have all your needs just like given to you right there and you never worry about your next, you know, about paying your electric bill or this or that, if you're not living like that, you are more dependent on God. You're more conscious, you're more conscious of God because you know you need to trust Him. One more. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Look at this tremendous word from the Apostle Paul to the young pastor Timothy. Verse 18. Speaking of believers, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We are to be doing good. We are to be generous and ready, always ready to share. My fellow Christian brothers and sisters, let us be mindful of the needs around us and intentionally be generous to those in need. Do not expect that this will always be a corporate sense in which we, the church, corporately go do something. You, as an individual disciple, follower of Christ, look for ways to flesh this out. Look for ways that you can be generous for the people that are around you, that you see on a regular basis. I've said this many times before. You can go to Montgomery County maryland.gov our county website they do a tremendous job of listing the needs that they have in the county and they update it we're the believers we should be all over that a lot of them are service opportunities you can spend an afternoon doing this you can spend an afternoon doing that our own county webpage we should be all over that now, let me give you one very specific need, and not everybody can do this. But the Murasans in our uh, congregation host a food distribution on Wednesdays from their home. They are now in need for a driver to pick up food from a store in Darnstown, 10 a.m. Wednesdays, and bring it to their home in Montgomery Village for the regular distribution. If this is something that would interest you, maybe not every Wednesday, but sometimes you can help out, they could really use that. If you know Faith or Christie, let them know. If not, let me know or email the office. we just like to help them out with that. Saints, may the Lord continue to grow within us a passion for evangelizing and also for meeting the temporal needs of those around us. May we be known as people who are generous and even willing to suffer loss for the sake of others. Remember David said, I won't give if it doesn't cost me. It's a profound statement. This world is not our home. 
Let's be generous. Would you join me for a word of prayer? We are so grateful for the truth of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Last night, we were so blessed for a full house to see how the gospel is borne out in C.S. Lewis' work through the dinner theater we had last night. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this word to us. May we not be slack or neglect this command. As we live our lives with gratitude for what you have done for us, as we are able and even beyond, let us be intentional about seeing, actually seeing the needs around us. And as appropriate and as is helpful, seeking to help meet those needs. Thank you for everything you have given us. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.